Hey, my name is Jay Warner Wallace, and I'm the author of Cold Case Christianity. I, I gotta tell you, if you're listening to this radio, you know that you're in a good place, and I cannot endorse more highly the intellect and the passion of your host. So just enjoy this radio program. Is he a real one? Radio is the real thing. And Veda, thank you so much for doing the most important work of the kingdom. Hey, this is Greg Kokel, author of Tactics, a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions and the Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And you're listening to Is He a Real One? Um, If you don't mind, can can you tell some of our listeners here on uh, on Is He a Real One um, podcast, um, like a little bit about you, uh, a little bit about you. Well, um, I, I live in Utah and uh, moved here in 2010 after uh, teaching for a couple of decades in Southern California. I was a Bible department chair at a Christian school, and, uh, but I've been involved with Mormonism Research Ministry, a parachurch organization that was founded by Bill McKeever in 1979. I've been involved with them since 1989. Uh, Bill and I have done a number of things. Uh, including writing books, and we have a website, mrm.org. Uh, we do a lot of different evangelism types of things, and so uh, I moved here to Utah in 2010 to do this full-time. So that's what I do with my uh, with my life, is uh, devoted full-time to Christian ministry here in Utah. You know, that's awesome. It's, it's interesting that you say you moved to Utah, because one of the questions that um, I wanted to ask you is um, the, because the Mormonism practice is pretty large in Utah, correct? Well, there's officially about 60% of everybody who lives in Utah is LDS. Now, many of them are cultural Mormons. Uh, they just kind of go with the flow. And mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, yeah, uh, Utah, Idaho has, a, a, I think, close to half of its uh, population. Arizona has a high population. Lots of Mormons in California. So the West here certainly has a number of um, people who are LDS. So when you live in these kinds of places, uh, you just have to really be familiar with it. If, uh, if you lived in Alabama or Florida uh, or, or Delaware, you're not going to run into as many Mormons. And so if you're going to be a Christian who's committed to sharing your faith, you're going to have to know a little bit about the... Mormon religion. Hmm. So, so would that um, play a part in, as to why you actually got into this book in particular? Well, we've written several books. Uh, uh, one book was called Mormonism 101 that was printed in 2015 with Baker Books. That's an overview of the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. Okay. Also, I've written a book in 2013 called Answering Mormon's Questions. That book uh, uh, basically how to deal with some of the common questions. And so this book is an evangelism book, and mm-hmm. it was written to share some of the ideas of how to approach uh, Latter-day Saints and get into a conversation on important issues. And There are so many different tactics, and now this is a book that will help people to see, oh, there are these ways you can actually deal with the issue. Awesome. And for those who are just tuning in, we're here right now with Eric Johnson. Um, we're talking about um, his new book that he has. Um, it's um, he is generally edited with him and also Sean McDowell. It's wonderful chapters. Um, it's wonderful chapters. I haven't had the chance to read the entire book, but I've, I've read probably about eight different chapters. Man, it's so much information, so much information. Um, 
So we're here with Eric Johnson right now talking about the book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons. Now, I want to get to the, um, evangelis- the, the evangelistic part of it, but there's a couple questions um, that the listeners may not know about Mormonism. So if you can help us um, to the best of your abilities, understand a couple things, um, if you don't mind. So for one, to well, your... I'll give you a... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, what were you going to say? Okay, well, um, I'll give you a nutshell okay. of you, and, and and this is really confusing because many people uh, talk to their Mormon friends, and Mormons will say they're Christian too. And exactly. Use the same language. They'll, exactly. They'll they'll talk about God, and well, do you believe in Jesus? Well, he's in our church's name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Right. They'll talk about uh, salvation by grace, and they use the Bible. So these are many things that a lot of people have a hard time with because they'll come back to us and say, well. They believe the same things we do, but when you take a look at the overall idea of what Mormonism is, I'll just give you some of the differences, and and I can support all of that. In fact, if you go to our book, Mormonism 101, uh, this will help to give an overview. It's like a systematic theology of the differences. But uh, For one, Mormons believe that God was once a man who lived in another world and became God. Now, when I say Mormons believe that, I'm not saying necessarily that your Mormon friend does, because they... They may not, so we never want to tell a Mormon what they believe. We ask them, but, but if they say, oh, I don't believe God was ever a man, then we can show them plenty of evidence to say that, yes, in fact, God today has a, a body of flesh and bones. Hmm. And so uh, the idea in Mormonism, in fact, there's a little couplet, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. And according to Mormonism, God was once a man who lived on another world who had enough uh, righteousness to be able to come to this world as God, and he actually is married. He has wives, um, multiple wives, according to uh, earlier Mormon leaders, and polygamy, even though it's not taught officially as for this world today, uh, it will be reinstated according to Mormon leadership. And so, so the idea that uh, we are children of God, and that's what Mormons will say, we live on this world, and the hope is, by doing the things that the Mormon Church tells us to do, that we can actually earn the right to become gods of our own right. It's called the celestial kingdom and exaltation, and they believe that their families can be together forever, and that they can actually continue doing what Heavenly Father did. That's what they'll call God the Father. And see, that God had a God before him, and that God had a God before him, and going back into an infinite regress. And the idea is that we, too, can become gods if we go into the temple and get married for time and eternity to our spouse, that we will have the chance to be able to go to the celestial kingdom. But it's based on good works. It's based on getting baptized in the church and doing the Mormon, uh, going through the Mormon temple ceremony, <clears throat> and then also uh, a variety of things you have to do to be able to get into the temple. You can't have hot drinks. You, mm. you, uh, you have to... Um, uh, wear special undergarments. You have to tie 10% of all your income to the church. There's all these different requirements. And the Mormon can never know that he or she has salvation. And so when mm. you take a look at that God, and when you take a look at who Jesus is, Jesus is literally the firstborn of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and he was not a God in the previous uh, life, so to speak, and, uh, and that he's not actually God in the flesh. They reject the Trinity. Uh, the idea that salvation comes by grace, well, because we were all valiant in the uh, pre-existence, the previous life where we were once born, 
according to Mormonism, this pre-existence, everybody was there, and it was Jesus and Lucifer who had a disagreement as to how the Savior of the world should operate, and Lucifer wanted to be the Savior of the world. Jesus says, no, I'm rightfully that heir because I'm the oldest, I'm the firstborn. <laughs> and so uh, one-third of our brothers and sisters sided with Lucifer, two-thirds of us sided with Jesus. One-third of the spirits then were cast out of heaven to become the demons, and Lucifer became Satan, and uh, we all receive bodies, and we will get to go to one of three uh, levels of the kingdoms. There's three different kingdoms, the celestial, terrestrial, and celestial, and everyone gets that. That's salvation by grace. That's the atonement of Christ that kicks in. But if you want to be able to receive salvation, you're going to have to uh, do everything that the church says, and then, like I said, you'll never know until you die that you've ever done enough. And so it's one of those work-based religions that asks the question, what do I have to do for God? And Christianity is so different, and it's so different that it really amazes people, and at first they'll reject it completely, because Christianity asks the question, what did God do for me? A completely different way of, mm. of considering that. So. So we love Mormons. We care for them very much. We just believe they're in a false religion, and they need to get out of religion and become in relationship with Jesus. That's the whole idea. Wow, that's, wow, wow. That was, that was an incredibly, I, I can tell you have to summarize this before, brother. I can't, <laughs> you, did, you did that well, really well. In we have to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because people ask that question all the time. Well, Mormons are Christians too. Well, I like to start off with who is God, and mm. if our God is different than the Mormon God, then we can't say that they're Christian too, because words have meaning, and the word Christian has a traditional meaning. Now, certainly there are different versions, I suppose you could say. There's Eastern Orthodox, there's Catholic, there's different Protestant branches, but in essence, I mean, the historical meaning of Jesus or uh, of Christianity says we have a belief in Jesus that is this. We have a belief in God that is this. That's what the creeds are all about, you know, to say here's what we believe. And Mormonism doesn't come around until 1830. Joseph Smith is the founder of this religion, claims that he had a vision of God the Father and Jesus telling him that all of the churches were wrong and all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. That's found in Mormon scripture because Mormonism has four scriptures, the Bible, King James Version, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. And in the Pearl of Great Price, you have this history of Joseph Smith. And when he was 14 years of age, he says that he saw God the Father and Jesus telling him not to join any other church and that he was to start his own church. Then in 1823, he has an angel appear to him, uh, supposedly the angel Moroni, uh, who's part of the Book of Mormon story, and leads him to these gold plates that he says that he translates. And this is a book about ancient Americans here on the on the continent, and uh, and so that's their more important scripture even than the Bible, and, mm. and so uh, and so then you go on and all these different ideas that Joseph Smith comes up with before he finally dies in 1844, it's it's completely contrary to what Christianity teaches. In fact, I, I'm going to say this: Mormonism denies or distorts every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian Church. Wow. And it's not hard to show that. I mean, wow. you can just go and, uh, and, and read what their, their uh, leaders have said. You can, I mean, again, I encourage people to read Mormonism 101 as a, if you want to see what some of those differences are, and you'll say, wait a minute, as I just explained who God is, 
the idea that God was once a man, that's not in our belief. Well, no, it's not. That's not part of our belief. God has always been God. He doesn't know of any other gods. The right. Bible's very clear on that. Isaiah 43.10, Isaiah 44, 6 and 8, and so many other passages, uh, you know, do not teach what Mormonism says are the most important things. And so when a Mormon says, I'm a Christian too, I think a, a possible response to show them how that word is not true is to say, well, if you're a Christian, and if Mormons are Christians and Christians are Mormons, I guess I'm a Mormon. Hmm. But I just, I reject Joseph Smith. I reject Russell M. Nelson as the president of the church, the prophet of the church. He's in his 90s, and, and he's, uh, he's from Salt Lake City, and so many other uh, things that we can say that we disagree with, but I'm a Mormon, and the Mormon will say, well, that doesn't sound like you're a Mormon. Well, okay, so Mormon has a meaning to it, so does the word Christian. Wow. You know, um, we're going to take a quick break, and I I know I promise not to keep you too long. I'm going to keep my word on that. Um, But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Mormon book, the Mormon Bible. How does that work? You touched on it a little bit um, right now, how they have the King James and, and other things like that. So we're going to go into that and then we're going to go into how do we actually approach um, these conversations? How can we lovingly and gently as Christians and as scripture instructs us um, to have these type of conversations um, lovingly and gently? How how do we go about um, doing this with someone who's not um, just a non-believer, but they have firm beliefs perhaps they were even they even grew up like this so how how do we have these conversations that are um productive um to put you know to as greg kukul would say um just to put a rock in their shoe um so that's what we're going to talk about when we when we come back eric johnson you've been awesome so far um and we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to close on that end Eric Johnson, um, he's educating us right now um, on the on Mormonism theology and doctrine. Um, he's telling us about the book, sharing the good news with Mormons. Um, Eric Johnson, thank you so much for being on with us today. Are you still hanging in tight? Yeah, thanks, Beta. I appreciate you having me on. It's all good, brother. It's all good. I, I really appreciate you. Now, you touched on something that was um, one of my questions. So, um, b- before we get to how exactly um, do you recommend we go about having um, conversations um, and evangelizing um, to Mormons who we may know, who we may come across, because we are charged to do that, you know, as disciples. Um, but before we get to that... Um, so you you explained you you explained um a lot of a lot of doctrine. So is this stuff basically explained throughout the Mormon Bible or cuz I cuz I think they used the King James as well. How how exactly does that work? Well, they have four scriptures. Okay. They have the Bible and it's the King James version. They do have a caveat though for the Bible. The Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly. Joseph Smith, the founder of the religion said and that's Article 8. And so uh, they use the Bible. It's not their first source. 
I suppose you would say, although they will use proof texts out of the book, of the Bible, to be able to support their unique teachings, like, for instance, baptism for the dead, which they do in their temples. Then wow. the second book is called the Book of Mormon. This is the book that the Mormon missionaries will try to get you to read. At the very end of the book, the Book of Moroni, chapter 10, there's a section there that asks if you would be willing to pray about this to see if it were true, and you have to do this with a sincere heart. And if you do it with true intent, then God will show himself to you. And this is what Mormons call the testimony. And so every Mormon who is a true Mormon is going to be able to tell you about how they know that Joseph Smith is a true prophet, and they know that the Book of Mormon is true scripture because God told them in a prayer. And then the third uh, book they have is called The Doctrine and Covenants, and this is a uh, series of revelations mainly given to Joseph Smith over the course of his life from the early 1830s until he died in 1844. So over a 15-year period, God is giving Joseph Smith instructions, and he's writing them down. And a lot of their doctrine actually comes mostly from that book. And then finally, they have The Pearl of Great Price. And The Pearl of Great Price is the book made up of a variety of uh, uh, individual books. Like, for instance, Joseph Smith found some Egyptian papyri in 1835, bought it, bought this papyri from a traveling salesman in Ohio where he lived at the time, and he translated it, he said, and uh, it's lost words from, from Abraham. Also, there's lost words from Moses that are found in here as well. So the Mormon will take those four books, they call them the standard works, and so their scriptures are much bigger. And this is where you have to be able to identify the difference in terminology. When you say scripture to a Mormon, you, as a Christian, are probably referring to the Bible, and right. that's what we accept as scripture. But when a Mormon says scripture, he's referring to those four, plus they have leaders. They have 15 main leaders. Uh, uh, the main guy is called the prophet, or the president of the church. The 17th president of the church is Russell M. Nelson. He just became the president after the previous president died in, in uh, January. So he is the president, he's the head, he's I think he's 93 years old now, and he has two counselors, the first and second counselor, and those three men are the top leaders. They're called the First Presidency. And then there are 12 apostles, and those 15 men, they get together every uh, twice a year, and in April and in October they have a weekend conference in Salt Lake City, the area where I'm at, and they teach doctrine. And so anything they teach... Uh, will be considered to be doctrine as well. So they'll include the writings of these men as well as what they write in their church manuals. They're very systematic, and when you put all of that together, that's what Mormonism is teaching. But the one thing we do have as a Christian Veda is we have the Bible that they do have in there, and I think we can use the Bible effectively, uh, if you know your word, to be able to show the Latter-day Saint how many differences there are from what God's Word teaches versus what Mormonism teaches. There are right. many contradictions, including, as I mentioned in the previous section, uh, uh, the idea that God was once a man. I think we can show very clearly there is only one God uh, in existence, and there are no other gods, and uh, there, God did not have a God. I mean, that's blasphemous to say that God had to have had a God and he had to have been a human. How did he die? Many Mormons don't have a problem to say that God was once a sinner who needed salvation like anybody else. So to me, that is a blasphemous statement and contradicts God's word. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so the, so the, 
lost words of Abraham and Moses, you know. So, I mean, obviously, with God having a God, I mean, that would just, I'm just kind of thinking of myself when, because I was already an adult by the time um, I accepted Jesus Christ, you know. So I was asking, right. so I was asking a lot of questions. Um, and I know if I happen to have been studying Mormonism at the time and I'm learning this, one question that I would ask is if God has a God, which God created heavens and the earth? Like, which one? <laughs> well, they would say Jesus did. Jesus is the creator. They believe that he was the first one, in essence, created, and then he did create. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God the Father, God, uh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all were involved yes. in uh, in the creation. Genesis one one says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." Verse yes. two says, "The Spirit of God hovered over the earth." Yes. And then John one three says that Jesus created all things. Not even one thing has been made without Him. So, mm. so that's what they would say. But this is what Abraham. You mentioned Abraham. I'm just going to cite you a verse out of Abraham chapter four, mm. and it says, "The gods organized." the two great lights, and it goes on and talks about how God organizes. See, Mormonism doesn't even teach in what we call ex nihilo creation, out of nothing. Mm. But rather, Mormonism teaches that matter has always existed. It's called ex materia, out of material. And so the problem with this is that um, you can't have an eternal matter going back into an infinity. And this is what we call the Kalam cosmological argument. And in fact, in a book written uh, by several scholars, Christian scholars, oh, probably about 15 years ago, William Lane Craig wrote a, a, a chapter on the Kalam cosmological argument. And I think he did a convincing job of showing that you can't have this organization of eternal matter. And so, I mean, there's, there's a difference there. There's some unique things found in those two books. And yet, let me just give you a quick synopsis of the book of Abraham. Uh, again, these were, these were uh, scrolls that Joseph Smith purchased from a uh, traveling salesman. But then in 1966, we thought we had lost these scrolls, that they were burned in the Great Chicago Fire, is what many people thought from the 19th century mm -hmm. after Joseph Smith died. Well, it turns out they were rediscovered in the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And these scrolls are common funeral papyri scrolls, and back in the days of Joseph Smith, they had not yet broken the code of, Egypt, of Egyptology. Uh, we had uh, Champollion, Napoleon's uh, troops in 1799, they found a Rosetta Stone, but it took decades before the scholars in Europe were able to decipher this, and so Joseph Smith was able to say whatever he wanted about the, this common funeral papyri, but when they rediscovered it in 1960, and they've taken a close look at it, not one symbol or uh, any kind of writing in there has anything to do with what he wrote. And the Mormon Church has now admitted this in a what's called a gospel topic essay that was produced, and it's on their website, org. They produced this back in 2014. This uh, essay admits that he did not do a traditional interpretation, translation, of the scroll that was written by Abraham, but rather he used a spiritual translation. He was able to come up with whatever he wanted. Well, if you said that about the Bible, and you're finding ancient scrolls that don't show that the book of John is what it really was, I think we would all scratch our heads and say, well, then if it didn't say that originally from John, then why would we believe any of it? 
this has been a big issue for a lot of Latter-day Saints, and a reason why many have left the church, because they're finding out their history with the Internet, especially these gospel topics essays, over a dozen essays that were written by the church, where the church admitted that Joseph Smith married multiple women, 30 to 40 wives, um, uh, that uh, he actually married other men's wives. Uh, that's uh, problematic for a lot of Latter-day Saints, that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon gold plates with a magic stone he put in a hat, and he looked into the hat, and that's how he translated it, not by looking at the plates. Those are the kinds of issues that are causing literally thousands of Mormons to leave Mormonism. But unfortunately, Vita, they're leaving Mormonism, and they're headed over to kind of where you probably were, uh, for some of your years of your life, either atheism or agnosticism. Because yes, they're told that there was a great apostasy, that all Christianity was lost. And uh, and so they have so believed that in their lives that if Mormonism isn't true, then there's a little adage, if Mormonism isn't true, then nothing else can be. And so they head to uh, nothingness, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because Mormonism isn't true mm. doesn't mean that there isn't a God, that there really wasn't a Jesus who came as the God-man and, and came to uh, be sacrificed for the sins of people, and uh, and that uh, the Bible isn't true. That doesn't negate those things, and unfortunately that's what we have to get past. But we're, we think about 80% of everybody who leaves Mormonism has strayed over to the atheist agnostic camp. Wow. You know, oh my goodness! I promise I could talk to you all day about this. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but I'm, I'm gonna try to tackle um, a, a few more things um, before you give us yeah. the I- instructions on how we should, um, the perspective that we should have before having a conversation. Because I do want to get to that. But all of the information that you're giving us now is also important because we should know this stuff before we even have a conversation, right? You know, absolutely. So r- really quick. Do you know off the top of your head, um, can you tell us something? You already gave us something about the, the lost words of Abraham. What about the lost words of Moses? Was Is there anything interesting and clearly contradictory from what we know of Moses, the prophet, in, in their lost words of Moses? Or Well, yeah, I mean, n- nothing that would be considered earth-shaking for, you know, I mean, there's just some different things in there. But you have to understand, this idea of... Uh, of uh, uh, monotheism is what Christianity teaches, and polytheism is really what Mormonism teaches, because they believe that there's not just one God, there are many gods. And a lot of that idea comes from the Book of Moses, as well as the Book of Abraham, where Genesis is retranslated, and instead of saying God singular, they turn it into, uh, Joseph Smith wrote that it was the gods. And, and so that's a that's a big problem, because if you're going to move from monotheism to polytheism, how can that be, especially since the Book of Mormon teaches in monotheism? Uh, very clearly, uh, there's nowhere you could go to the Book of Mormon, which is supposed to be, as Joseph Smith called it, the most correct book on earth, and a man could get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And so, uh, yes, so, so these are, are some different ideas that Joseph Smith has contradicting his previous revelation. Let me just read you uh, from the, uh, uh, the, Book of Mor- uh, the Book of Mormon in Moroni, Moroni 8.18. Let me just read this to you. Can you tell me, does this sound like there are multiple gods that God was once a man? It says, For I know that God is not a partial God, 
neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity. Wow. What that verse is saying is that God has always been God. In fact, the Book of Mormon actually does not teach Mormon doctrine. It teaches more probably like a confused Protestant from the 19th century would write. And so, very clearly, Joseph Smith, in, the 18, in 1830, when he published this book, believed in one God, and that was later changed over the next few years by 1835. Now he's starting to talk about multiple gods. And then in the 1840s, before he died, he boasts that he's always preached on the idea of multiple gods. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. So, how do the, so for clarity, how do the gold plates... Um, play into this. I know. So you describe, you know, um, the lost words of Abraham and Moses. They have the King James. They have this other stuff. How how does the gold plates? What exactly are the gold plates? Let's start there. That's a great question, Veda. And so uh, so the idea of the Book of Mormon comes from Joseph Smith. He claims that in 1820 he had this first vision of Heavenly Father and Jesus telling him not to join any of the churches because they were all wrong because of the great apostasy. Nothing was remaining of truth uh, after that, the death of the apostles. Then in 1823, Joseph Smith, now he is... Um, uh, He's, he's more of an older teenager. I think he's 18 years of age, and he's sleeping in, his, in the room with his brother, and an angel comes in and basically says, Hey, Joseph, I've got something for you. So he takes him to a hill called the Hill Cumorah, and you can actually go visit that today in New York State, where Joseph Smith lived. And he showed him these plates. They were made of gold. They were six inches by eight inches by six inches made of gold, and they were in the hill, and Joseph Smith was allowed to see them, but he was not allowed to take them because he wasn't righteous enough. And every year on the same date, in September 22nd of every year, 24, 25, 26, he was allowed to go and visit them, but he wasn't righteous enough to take them yet. Then in 1827, the angel says, you can take them. So Joseph Smith takes these gold plates, and by the way, if they were made of gold in the dimensions I just gave you, they would weigh 200 pounds. I mean, gold weighs a certain number, and it weighs 1,200 pounds per cubic foot, and this was a sixth of a cubic foot, so that'd be 200 pounds. A lot of Latter-day Saints have never even thought of that. He mm. takes them home, and he takes a rock and puts it into a hat, and he translates these plates uh, by the power of God, is what he says. And it tells the story of a man named Lehi from 600 B.C., and uh, Lehi came over after the Babylonians were destroying Israel, the, the southern kingdom, he takes a boat over here with his son, Nephi and Laman, and the story then uh, has him coming to the Americas, and the Mormon scholars can't figure out if that's North America or if that's in Central America, where the Mayans lived. And, uh, and But anyway, how the story goes is that these two uh, men, one was righteous, his name was Nephi, he was, he was uh, white-skinned. Laman was dark-skinned. They, wow. uh, the, uh, the Lamanites were the evil ones. They warred against the Nephites. And for four centuries after Christ, well, Christ came to the Americas after he resurrected, and that is reported in the Book of Mormon. Uh, it talks about how Jesus came here and preached unto the Nephites and the Lamanites, and there was peace during the time he was here, and then he went back into heaven. And so uh, they do have a resurrection story for the Americas. And then uh, in around the 420s, uh, the Lamanites were beaten up on the Nephites, and there were only there was only one left, 
and his name was Moroni, the son of Mormon. Mormon had taken all of the records of the peoples from the Americas mm -hmm. and compiled them together. And then Moroni writes the last book, and he takes them and buries them in the hill. Then uh, 1,400 years later, he comes back visiting Joseph Smith and shows Joseph Smith those plates that he had, had buried there before. So it's quite an interesting story. This scripture is most important to Latter-day Saints. This is the book that they will actually pray about to see if it's true. Unfortunately for the Mormon, there's no evidence whatsoever for the Book of Mormon. Everything from archaeology, because if you want to find out about the Bible, guess what? You can go to the Holy Land, mm -hmm. and you don't see, might have been Capernaum, right. might uh, <laughs> possibly could right. be Jerusalem. Exactly. Well, these are actual sites, these are yeah. actual places we can actually prove in so many ways, the history of the Bible, that these are real people and real places describing real events. But in Mormonism, they don't even know if it's on the North American continent or in the Central American continent. And then all of the Native Americans, it was believed by earlier Mormons that they were all with Semitic skin because they came from Lehi, who was a Jew. But we have discovered through DNA testing over the last 20 or 30 years that we haven't found any ancient Americans who are Native Americans, if you want to, you know, the current ancestors, who actually have any Semitic blood, but rather they have Asiatic blood because they came over from the Bering Strait. So, that's, I mean, I could go into a lot more detail, and I know I, I, I kind of went long with that, but no, the story awesome. is integral to the Book of Mor or to the uh, Mormon Church. If the first vision did not take place, Joseph Smith was lying about that. If he did not tell the truth about the Book of Mormon. Mormon leaders have even said the whole thing falls apart. And if you were to read a chapter in our book by Bill McKeever in Sharing the Good News with Mormons, his chapter deals specifically with this and how you can bring up these issues, because if they're not true, then Mormonism cannot be true. Hey, now, I, I like your um, thoughts on this. How would you respond um, to the objection, well, well, Mormon Mormons, uh, you know, they may practice plural marriage, um, but that was also the case on many godly men in the Old Testament. Um, what would be your response to that? Well, and that that is brought up oftentimes. Let's just be clear: Mormonism does not teach today that people can get married polygamously. Okay. You, you know, there are groups around, like Warren Jeffs groups and others. There's over a hundred splinter groups of polygamous groups. They are not officially uh, tuned into the Mormon Church, which officially got rid of polygamy in 1890 so they could become a state. But really, they didn't get rid of it until 1904, and that can be clearly shown. But uh, Mormonism, even though it does not believe in getting being polygamously married today, actually does believe that the future and the next life will be polygamous. And in fact, Russell M. Nelson, the current president of the church, is married to two women spiritually. Hmm. The first wife died. He met another woman, and this woman um, was never married in the temple, had never been married at all. And so they got married in the temple. So he got married for time and eternity to Wendy, her, his new wife. Uh, and he fully expects to see both his first wife and second wife in the next life. So it, there's no doubt at all that they still hold to polygamy, even though they don't practice it in this life. But as far as your question about what about the Old Testament uh, folks who 
practice polygamy. And you have to understand, God never told any of those men to practice polygamy. They did it on their own. Like, for instance, it was Abraham and Sarah who, uh, you know, they they jump-started God's uh, plan, and we see what happened there because Ishmael was born with a relationship with Hagar, and today the Ishmaelites, which are the Muslim people, are still a thorn in the side of the Jewish people. And so you see with uh, Solomon, he had... Uh, what, 300 wives, 700 concubines, and how they turned his heart from the Lord. And we see in the New Testament that monogamy was the norm, not polygamy. And in fact, if you wanted to be a leader in the church, Paul wrote to Timothy to say, no, you, uh, a leader, an elder, has to be the husband of one wife. And, uh, and so uh, polygamy was not a New Testament uh, Christian practice for sure. Right. It was practiced by some in the Old Testament, but it was not as common as we make it out to be. There were there were certainly patriarchs who did hold to that, but uh, uh, with God never having said that they should, he allows for things. He says, uh, you know, divorce is not his best, but he allows for divorce, you know, in certain circumstances, and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I don't think anybody could argue well, God must really want people to get divorced. No, he allows for it, and there are consequences possibly to it, and certainly there were many consequences with polygamy. It's certainly not a practice I want to see reinstituted in my lifetime. <laughs> right. Now, when it comes to um, applying all of this wonderful knowledge that, A, we have in this book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, um, General Editors Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell, um, you've referenced another book. I don't want to misquote it. Is it Mormonism One-on-One? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have this, this impact, um, and a lot of insight and information. So when we come across, say I have a family member, you know, or, um, I'm really close to someone at work and we're close enough to where we do talk about things, um, that's not work related at times. We have dinner. And I want to have a conversation. How do you recommend us having this conversation? Like, like how, because the reason I ask is because people, as I'm sure you know, Eric, are really sensitive and guarded about their spiritual beliefs. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of break through on people. Even people who are devout atheists, they claim that they don't believe in anything, you know. But right. it, it's hard to even get through to them because it's not um although they may claim a lot of times that it's it's intellectual barriers but it's really emotional or um you know or some other things that have happened and it's like I don't want it to be true. So when you don't want something to be true, like what are some good steps to and I love quoting Greg Kukul. I, I just love when he says, I don't want to convert you. I just want to put a rock in your shoe. I just I just love yeah. that quote. I just love it because I've had a rock in my shoe before and it's like and it's like even when I don't stop walking, Eric, I know it's there. And it's like and eventually I'm like, man, what is this? Like, you know, I just I I just love that analogy. So how do we go about potentially putting a rock in the shoe of our Mormonism friends and family who we who we love? Another great question, Beta, and uh, this is the reason why we wrote this book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, because I, 
in the introduction talk about this very idea, I have had so many people come up to me and ask the question you're asking in a similar way. What's the one way I could do that? And I always like to say, well, that's a question that if you find out the right way, tell me, and I'd like to, I'd like to use that way. If there was the one bulletproof way that always works every single time, uh, let's write a book just on that way. But there's not. <laughs> And it depends on your gifts. It depends on who you are. It depends on the circumstances. And this is what this book is about. 24 different chapters written by 26 people describing ways that they like to go about doing evangelism to Latter-day Saints or bringing up the issue. And you mentioned Greg Kokel. I'm going to say probably four or five chapters use Greg Kokel's uh, idea in fact, the word tactics, is that's the name mm-hmm. of his book. Yep. It's an excellent book, mm-hmm. and that book is uh, asking questions using the Columbo method, for instance, the Socratic method. Lynn Wilder, who uh, used to be a professor at BYU, and her son Michael Wilder was a missionary back in 2005 and left Mormonism, writes a chapter on the Columbo tactic in, in our book. So Greg Kokel had a huge impact on what we were trying to do. So using questions is a great way to introduce that topic. You're right. You don't want to just come in on a you know, dinner and it's your Mormon relatives and you go, yeah, you know, Mormonism is a fraud and, and I don't believe it. Well, you just ask them to, let's go ahead and just have a fight right now. You know, right. Religion and politics are the two things you're supposed to avoid. Right. But, right. At the, but at the same time, if we believe that what we have is the truth, if we believe Mormonism is wrong and is not true, then why wouldn't we want to at least try to engage in a discussion? Whether it's somebody sitting next to us on an airplane who says, oh, I'm a Latter-day Saint, or whether it's our coworker or neighbor or possibly even our, uh, our own relative. Ask, here's a question you can ask without, I don't think anybody minds talking about themselves. Why are you a Mormon? Ask that question. Find out what they say. I think you can learn a lot in two minutes about that person. Well, I, I'm an eighth-generation Mormon. My relatives came over on the pioneer wagons. Uh, you know, I, I, my dad was a bishop. I grew up in the church. You'll hear that kind of thing. And, and, and you just listen for more questions you can ask, as Greg Kokel instructs us in the book Tactics, and, and find out. Rarely have I ever found the Mormons say, well, I be- I'm a Mormon because I believe Mormonism is true. Mm-hmm. You know, you, they'll say that in their testimony, possibly, but their initial reaction is, well, I've always been a Mormon, and it works for me. They're pragmatic about it, or whatever the situation is, and then that can cause you to, okay, let, let me ask you another question. And then they're, they're happy again to talk about themselves. They might ask you a question yourself. They might say, well, so you're not Mormon. You're a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Oh, my goodness. You just asked me to give my testimony. And, uh, well, don't you think we Mormons are Christians too? Well, you know, I'm not trying to be offensive. You know, we're eating dinner together and, you know, we're related or whatever the situation might be. But no, I think Mormonism has some major problems. Well, what problems do they have? Now you've just been invited to share whatever issue you want to bring up. I like to use the, the book, The Miracle of Forgiveness. I wrote a chapter about that in the, in the book. Uh, this is a book written by a, the 12th president of the church, Spencer Kimball. What I do with Latter-day Saints is I'll say, I read this book. They know of the book. They've read it before. Most of them have as well. And then, uh, and so I'll, just, I'll say, well, this is what he says. Can you defend that? Uh, or, or do you believe that? And sometimes they'll say no. And I'll say, can you defend yourself against Spencer Kimball? Because he actually does an accurate job 
of describing the standard works of the church. He, there are some passages that are very difficult that basically says perfection is an achievable goal. He says that in his book. Uh, and, and so those are the kinds of things that, for me, that work. But it might not work for you, Veda, and so one of those other chapters might work, or you might come up with your own uh, insight to be able to uh, engage in the conversation. But we have to always remember this is the most important thing. Latter-day Saints are people. And many of them are very nice people. Yes. We're, they're not our enemies. The Bible says that we're supposed to always have an answer mm-hmm. for everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope we have. We better, if we're going to live in the West, especially the Western United States, we better have answers and not just pretend it doesn't matter. Or, basically, it's, uh, we have been neutered. And we are called to be salt and light. We're supposed to be able to uh, let people know about the truth. And I think the worst thing we could do is hide the truth of God and the Bible from people just because we're scared of oh. walking the boat. Wow. You know, that, that, is a, that is a very deep and powerful way to put it. Because, wow, we'd be hiding, like we're really hiding the word of God or hiding the true love of God because we're scared of the um, discomfort. We're scared of the uh, potential confrontation, if if that's the word you want to use. But nevertheless, we'd be, wow, that's a sermon. I don't want to start preaching here, but that's a sermon right there, Eric. (laughs) That's a, wow. That's, that's really powerful, man. That's really powerful. And, and what I love about um, your recommendations as far as um, how to some of the things to consider um, when potentially having these conversations is is that, you know, it really sounds simple. But us humans, you know, we don't ask questions, even if it's, you know, not evangelism like we're talking about right now. It could be literally be a relationship with your wife or, you know, a woman right. with her husband. It could be something at work. It could be something you're trying to resolve. Do we go into that? meeting do we go into that um next conversation asking questions trying to understand where their mind is why did you respond this way why didn't you do this why did you do that you know we usually just go talking at people and not to people and it sounds so simple um but we really should be conscious of asking questions and treat and treating our fellow human beings like human beings, you know, those, those are really wonderful Hi. recommendations, Eric. Yeah, thank you. Hey, so before I let you go, I have one last question that I, I didn't ask you. Because yeah. um, I feel like you mentioned that um, Mormonism supports like baptism of the dead or something. Before I go, and I know we already mm-hmm. moved past this part, but can you tell me how that possibly would work? You know, I mean, do they dip them in water? Like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, it sounds like maybe they're taking dead bodies and, and pouring water over them. That's not the way it is. Uh, there are 170 Mormon temples all over the world, uh, many of them in the United States, especially in the West. I don't know how many Utah has. I think we probably have a dozen or more. But uh, anyway, those are special places you have to be certified. You have to have a temple recommend card, they call it. And you basically have these questions asked of you by your leader called the bishop, and and, and they approve you to be able to go in there. So the first time you go into a temple, you do the ordinances for yourself and your spouse. When you get married, you get married in the temple. You have to uh, go through the ceremonies, and you can actually go 
online, and you can watch it. It's secretly taped by a guy named New Name Noah, one word, New Name Noah. That was his new name that he got when he was a Mormon, and uh, he secretly taped all of the ceremonies there. So you can you go on his YouTube site, and you can see them uh, as he filmed them. But, but uh, they learn special handshakes that they have to be able to do when they die. They have to be able to use those. They can pass a sentinel into the celestial kingdom. And only those with the inside knowledge are going to do that. This comes from masonry. Joseph Smith was a high-ranking mason when he lived, and so he took a lot of masonry and put it right into Mormonism. But one of the rights that they have, in fact, most of the work done in the temple, you only do one time for yourself, but it's done for those who are already dead. And this is why Mormons are so big on genealogy. And if you're ever going to do your own genealogy of your family, uh, you're probably going to have to go to the Mormon uh, sources because they have the best uh, records of everybody. And so uh, a lot of genealogy is done. In fact, they'll help you here in Utah to, if you come to downtown Salt Lake, they'll help you do your genealogy because it's saving your ancestors. And so you do this research, you find out who your ancestors are, and then you go and do work for them. And one of the first things you're going to do is you're actually going to go into the temple. Usually this is done by teenagers. Uh, when they turn 12, they're able to go into the temple, and they have to dress in special clothes. It's on the very bottom level of every temple. There's a baptismal font on the back of 12 oxen, uh, stone oxen, and then they actually, on behalf of that person, will get dunked. And one person can get dunked a dozen times for 12 different people. So they just do the one after the other, and sometimes the teenagers will go to before school to, to do this work. What happens then is once that person has been dunked, there will be spirit missionaries in the next life. There's a place called Paradise where good Mormons live in a temporal state, and then there is also spirit prison. Spirit prison is a place where you and I will go uh, because we're not good Mormons. And so then we will have somebody do that work for us. They will present to us the Mormon gospel, and you'll have this opportunity. Originally, the doctrine was made for those who had never heard the gospel, but today most Mormons believe that when, in fact, a week after, uh, actually you have to wait a year, I think. You have to wait 365 days, and a year after you die, uh, if you have a Mormon relative, they might go in there and do the work for you because they're thinking that they're helping save you because now you have a missionary, spirit missionary, to tell you the true gospel. And at that point, even I, Mormons would think I'm pretty stubborn, but even I would say, Uncle, and I wouldn't want to go to the bottom level, it's called hmm. the Celestial Kingdom, uh, I want to at least go to the terrestrial kingdom, and so I'm going to accept that gospel. So uh, a baptism for the dead is done there, as well as they will seal families together. So once you've had that done, you actually, um, if you, let's say, have grandparents who never were LDS, you can actually do the wedding ceremony on their behalf for them, going through the temple ceremony, learning the handshakes, and you're learning it for them. Kind of actually kind of, when you think about it, a little spooky. In fact, yeah. a lot of Latter-day Saints look forward to having experiences with spirits they believe are their relatives and others uh, in the temple. So it's uh, something they're not allowed to talk about. If you are if you want to talk to a Mormon about it, don't accept them to tell you very much because they are sworn to secrecy, and uh, they're, they're not going to tell you all about that or the experiences they may have had. But I've had Mormons tell me that they've met their parents in the temple and others they've known, and they would these spirits will tell them things that nobody else would have ever known except for the person who's, who, who's supposedly is there. And uh, that, to me, is not something the Bible would commend, but rather condemn.
Wow, Eric, you've really blessed us with so much knowledge, insight, expertise. It's obvious years and hours and hours of study. Um, We thank you here um, at the website, Is He A Real One? and the Is He A Real One um, podcast. Um, I'm certain that this interview will be a blessing to some who had questions. You know, in fact, I was even at a Bible study. Um, a few weeks ago, um, it, I think it was like um, like uh, the Monday after uh, we were supposed to do the interview the first time, you know, when someone actually asked a question and I was able to answer it a little bit because I've been reading the book, you know, um, but oh, I was, great. yeah, because they had a question, um, <clears throat> the, the question was, well, well, they they came to me. They didn't ask me what's the difference between um, the Holy Bible and the Mormon Bible, how they how they stated it. But they just um, said that they had a conversation with someone and they couldn't explain what the difference was. They just kind of knew it was, but they didn't really know anything. So I I just say that to say there's definitely an interest, and um, I'm definitely praying over this interview, man, and. Um, and I just thank you for your time, um, and I just can't wait for this to be out in the world, you know. So when people have questions, you know, this is definitely um, a great interview to listen to. Um, it, and also, not only is it great information, but you've also given us wonderful recommendations on how to go about um, having conversations um, with people who um, practice the Mormon doctrine or have that belief system. Eric, thank you so much for your time, man. I, I promise I appreciate you. Is there any other um, last thoughts or anything that um, that you want to make sure we that you want to make sure we cover before we tune out? Well, I guess the last thing I would say is uh, whatever your strategy, whatever your approach, do it. And you may not have an answer immediately for somebody, then go and do the research and find out more. The more you learn how to talk to Mormons or atheists or anybody, the the better you're going to be. The experience is worth it. So uh, follow what God's command is and bring the gospel to every part of the world. Awesome. Awesome. This is Veda Hedgeman. We're here with on the Is He A Real One podcast. We're here with Eric Johnson. Please make sure you get the book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons. It's so much information in there and insight on how to go about having the conversation because we're not we're not studying this stuff to win debates that's not our goal our goal and our charge as disciples is to play a role in winning souls and guiding people the right way um in living as a certain example so this book is a wonderful guideline on how to do that as far as giving information and giving wonderful recommendations on how to go about having the conversation. We're here with Eric Johnson, um, the author of the book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, along with Sean McDowell. It's wonderful chapters written by wonderful scholars and wonderful people who've studied this stuff. I highly recommend the book. Again, Sharing the Good News with Mormons. We're here with Eric Johnson. Eric, thank you so much for your time, bud. Thanks, Veda. I sure appreciate it.